0: Welcome to Politics in Question, the podcast where we talk about how our political institutions are failing us and what to do to fix them. I'm Julia Azari. I am a professor of political science at Marquette University.
1: And I'm Lee Drutman, a senior fellow at New America.
0: So you've probably heard that American democracy is in crisis. In fact, it's sort of implied in the tagline of our podcast. Here's a few polling numbers from the last year. 64% of Americans believe U.S. democracy is in crisis and at risk of failing. 74% of likely voters believe American democracy is under threat, and respondents were divided on the cause, and 67% of Americans think U.S. democracy is in danger of collapse. Only 9% think democracy is working extremely or very well. We've talked about this in the context of the 2022 midterms, where one of the important post-election narratives was that democracy won. But. This all assumes that we know what we mean by democracy, and there's a lot of questions about whether we even have a shared definition. How do we conceptualize this problem? Are Americans losing support for democracy? Or is the problem that we all just have competing conceptualizations of of what this means? So, I'm, I'm really excited that we have with us here today the, the perfect guest, really, to talk through these questions. We have Nicholas T. Davis, Assistant Professor of Political Science at the University of Alabama, author of many papers, and especially relevant for our purposes today, the author, the co-author of a newish book, Democracy's Meanings, How the Public Understands Democracy and Why It Matters, with his co-authors, Keith Gaddy and Kirby Gordell. So, Nick, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So you guys have this really fascinating book where you look into essentially how Americans view democracy and how Americans define democracy. And you use some survey data and break Americans into kind of four typologies. Do you want to walk us through the research that you did and and these four typologies of how people think about democracy in the United States?
2: Yeah, for sure. So we have um, a battery of survey questions that we call the essential characteristics of democracy that is loosely based off of some cross-national survey instrumentation developed by the World Value Survey. Um, And so what we did is we settled on six items that we thought were fairly representative of um, a wide array of things that people might associate with democracy. And so these ranged from things like uh, majoritarian rights, um, the ability to say uh, offensive things in public, participatory rights, and then some substantive questions that involve the extent to which democracy ought to produce um, equitable outcomes for citizens. Uh, And so what we did is we used um, some semi-supervised machine learning to try to parcel people into different uh, classes or groups uh, of democratic uh, belief. And so what we found is that this typology has got four different different groups um, in different people. Uh, it's about 10% of our sample are individuals who exhibit a little bit of low attentiveness on our survey, um, and they don't have super well formed views of democracy. They generally tend to answer at the midpoint for lots of our survey questions. But it's good to parcel those people out because in and in, in sort of purging them from the the rest of the survey respondents, we were left with with three categories uh, of, of meanings of democracy. The first of these is the procedural group. And so these are folks who believe that um, democracy is mostly about um instrumental uh civil liberties or or civil rights so free speech uh, the right to participate that sort of thing Um, they see virtually no role for democracy uh, in creating the good life uh, despite research that suggests that democracies uh, generally tend to produce better material living conditions better health outcomes for citizenry than autocracies they just don't believe that democracy has any business uh, in distributing uh, goods among a citizenry. Um, at the other end of that spectrum is folks who see democracy as being distinctly social. So these are folks who are maximalists or who maybe have thick definitions of democracy, and they believe that democracy ought to balance the production of civil liberties and, and material well-being uh, or, or welfare goods uh, in a mass public. In the middle are our moderates and so for lack of a better word these are folks who still score quite high on things like civil liberties um but tend to see a, a little bit uh less of a role for democracy to produce uh the good life than their social democracy counterparts but uh, are are higher on those items than folks who score uh, in the procedural uh, class of democracy
0: yeah so this is a really kind of helpful typology for us to think about um, how people have disagreements about what democracy actually is. But One of the questions that came to mind for me as I was looking at all of this is whether the US context has is sort of especially conducive to these disagreements. And you know, one of the things that I thought about there was our unique racial history in this country, but also the federal structure and the kind of fragmentation of American democracy.
2: So in some other work that we've done using these items, we looked at this world value survey data across uh, across the, the globe's democracies. And what we found is that it's really hard to try and pool survey data from lots of different countries together to come up with a master set of meanings of democracies. Um, lo and behold, the thing that ends up ten, that tends to happen is that the number of classes and the meaning of democracy in an individual country varies pretty markedly. Turns out that um, context and history matters a lot. And so um, the US's uh, set of classes are themselves somewhat unique to its context and, and its history. Um, in turn, I think it's fair to say that our particular history with individualism and, and small-l liberalism that history imbues the way in which people think about democracy with prioritizing certain values, right? The civil liberties and the procedural elements of, of democracy. Um, and they tend to downplay some of the other roles uh, that uh, uh, people might view democracy uh, as possessing, so like uh, distributing uh, wealth or uh, ensuring that uh, citizens have have basic necessities, um, and so our uh, the way in which these these classes or these these items combine across our classes is probably somewhat unique to the United States. Um, but it is curious that uh, among the classes, we find the largest classes actually folks with the social democracy perspective. Um, so those folks who believe that. Democracy should balance um, both you know, procedural and, and welfare goods, um, which maybe runs counter to how we generally might assume the average American stereotypically thinks about democracy in terms of a more limited or minimal definition. It seems, in fact, that um, we've got some evidence here that suggests that they expect a little bit more from democracy than maybe what they're getting.
0: That was a really fascinating finding. The other question I have that I think kind of builds on this is about this larger debate across, I think, a number of different social science perspectives. In mainstream American politics, I feel like there's a fairly dominant view at this point that like the country is racially polarized, it is split. You can kind of know somebody's placement on a racial resentment scale or other measures based on their partisanship and vice versa. And this sort of explains a whole lot of variation on a whole lot of attitudes. And it's, you know, in some, in some ways, not that complicated. And on the other side, there is, I think, a conversation that comes more out of sociology and out of political theory. And I'm thinking here of a work by um, sociologist Daniel Hosang and by, um, by uh, the late political theorist Joel Olson that kind of suggests that, no, even you know, uh, the sort of left or center left conceptualizations of democracy, thicker, more citizenship oriented conceptualizations of democracy actually do have some elements of um, of racism baked in. And I'm wondering if you see this work as kind of fitting into one side or the other of that debate.
2: I think so. What we, we tend to find in our typology is that survey respondents who see inequality uh, and and see that various groups in American history have had a harder go of it in democracy, at least with respect to democracy, delivering equitable outcomes. Um, Those folks tend to gravitate more towards a social Vision uh, of democratic meanings, um, whereas folks who tend to reject the existence of institutional equalities, um, or who believe that you know racial problems are isolated, those folks tend to gravitate towards procedural views of democracy. And so, um, what's curious is that both of these groups, right—the more limited procedural group—and then the more sort of substantive or maximal view of of the social democracy folks—they both tend to equally value the procedural elements of democracy like just because someone is a has a social view of democracy doesn't mean that they don't view um participatory rights or free speech as as very important they do but what tends to happen or what we tend to find is that these uh Two groups of people view uh, inequality, responsibility, individualism is a is a huge correlate of our um, of our typology. That folks who view the government's role or the or the prevailing political institutions' uh, role in in contributing to these inequalities, um, that that somewhat distinguishes where they fall on this continuum between um, thin and thick views uh, of democracy. So it ends up kind of overlaying on perhaps how people tend to think about race today.
1: Thank you. And uh, before I ask my questions, I just want to say how much this, this conversation fits with your work, Julia, on norms versus values, uh, that we should be thinking more in terms of values and not so much in, in, as much in terms of norms. Uh, and, And one of the stories of American democracy over our long history is that the values have changed and who counts as part of the political community has continued to expand over time. At the time of the Constitution, the only people who could vote were white men over the age of 25 who held property. And as a result, very few people voted. Uh, over time that has expanded. It's been constantly contested based on who wins and who loses based on expanded participation. And it continues to be contested. Uh, but I, I do want to pick up and ask some questions about this point over whether this this is just a, a, a fight among elites or whether it actually does matter more broadly. Because there, there's this funny interaction that happens between elites and voters, where voters are trying to figure out what makes sense, what what does it mean to be in a democracy, what what, what is a democracy all about? We like this in the abstract, but we don't know what 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 that counts as until uh, those in the media and politicians tell us what is pro democratic and what is anti democratic and. You know, anti-democratic is this universal epithet, uh, whereas pro-democratic is is good. So in the most recent midterms, right, I mean, there was this idea that democracy won because the Democrats won because Biden talked about democracy in the lead up to the election. But democracy was a, a an issue for Republicans, too. They just had a very different conception of what, Democracy counted as. So, one of the things that that I've been trying to kind of make sense of as I've been reading this accumulating literature on support for democracy is it seems that there's two potentially orthogonal, unrelated dimensions here. One is how is what I might call democratic hypocrisy, which is that people say, oh, democracy is a great system. But the Democrats are anti-democratic, so we have to do everything to crush the Democrats to preserve democracy or flip, flip it. You know, Republicans are anti-democratic. And then there's another group of people who probably mostly correspond to, to your indifferent category, Nick, who just think, oh, well, you know, democracy is not such a good system. So how should we think about, are, are these fundamentally, like, uh, you know, do, do these load on different deme- dimensions? Are these, how, how are these concepts related to each other? Sort of de- democratic hypocrisy versus just support for, for democracy more broadly? I admit I'm kind of confused and trying to make sense of of this because it feels like there's these two conversations that are sort of about the same thing,
2: but maybe not actually about the same thing. Yeah, no, I think they're I think they're about a, a similar thing, but I do think you're right that they are they're potentially capturing different dimensions. So um, when we ask people, "Do you like democracy?" and you know, "Do you want?" There's a set of instruments that that are pretty common where we ask people. Um, do you agree that the following way is a good way to run a country and we'll say you know with expert rule we're unelected, unelected experts or um that, that the president shouldn't have to run uh, stuff by congress or, or whether the army rule is appropriate and people give pretty consistent responses that are, are pro-democratic to to those items um but where the rubber meets the road is where things kind of fall apart so when you give people different episodes of um norm breaking or when you give uh, folks vignettes that involve scenarios where um, politicians are contravening um, the sort of acceptable standards that exist for democratic behavior people do oftentimes exhibit democratic hypocrisy the problem with some of that experimental work though is that people are rarely told what the pro democratic action looks like there's a lot of there's there's a there's a statement about someone breaking a, a democratic, uh, norm, and then there's something usually involving the stakes at play, um, but very little then about connecting the the breach of that norm back to why it matters for democracy. And so, I do think there's a role for elites to shape how citizens think about these these events, um, particularly with respect to holding each other accountable. Um, and so, in some other experimental work, we show that when when there is punishment, um, and an elite says this is why this is wrong. People don't like to lose, but they will accept what uh the they will accept the outcome or the punishment um, if that accountability is is present. And so it almost seems like to circle back a little bit to some of Julia's work on on values, it seems like we're not doing a very good job connecting. Democratic values to these episodes. It's all about like uh, circumventing the rules, working the refs, right? Like it's like it's like our our vernacular for thinking about these um, episodes of wrongdoing or or democratic backsliding are so deeply ingrained to involve the rules that we don't really spend much time talking about whether or not they involve violations of of, of deep values, and then how that affects how we, we. turn around and think about, are we living to up to our, our democratic standards? And so um, when we sort of get lost in the weeds about whether something is a norm violation, sometimes I feel like you're right, that there's a whole second dimension of democratic values that just kind of remain disconnected from the the broader evaluation of why something's wrong.
1: Well, yeah, no, I know I, that, that point about a lot of these studies not uh, situating uh, these democratic norms in, in larger values, is well taken. I mean, the, the other my, the other challenge that that I think comes from this sort of experimental work is that elections are important and communicate a lot of information, and elections are not just held on this one dimension, but a whole host of other social values and in the U.S. two-party system, a very binary choice where to punish somebody on your side who's a norm-breaker means to support the other side. So there's this whole effective polarization dimension to this, and you know, it seems like it's pretty consistent with a lot of the comparative how democracies die literature that in these moments of high polarization, people are are willing to tolerate norm-breaking on their side a lot more because the stakes feel a lot higher like in in 1973 you know if if you were a republican and you wanted to punish nixon like it was okay to vote for a democrat you know now if you want to punish trump you're supporting the the democratic party which is a very different democratic party than it was in 19 well i guess we had an election in 74 but point there so, it, you know, I mean, it does seem like part of it, like we're missing the context of the elections and what the elections are about, right?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, all of this experimental work is done in a vacuum, and uh, the evaluative dimension that you're asked to consider is the norm-breaking dimension, but it doesn't adequately account for the myriad ways in which elections shape the discursive context and how the stakes vary. And one of you know, it's got some very severe external validity problems, I think, um, to, to take too much from that stuff, the idea that people are just sort of wantonly um, casting aside democratic democratic values.
1: On the other hand, it would be consistent with that people are not willing to punish uh, <laughs> democratic norm breaking. But it, I mean, it is a question of what, what issues are salient. And one read on the 2022 election is that Democrats made the issue of norm breaking very salient to a key uh, slice of voters who actually were willing to vote based on those issues, um, but but I want to I want to move on here because I think there is an important point in the the way that that you offer these typologies of democracy. One is a you know I often think of the procedural version as the thin version of democracy, and I think of the more social version as the thicker version of democracy that I- envisions it not just in terms of of this you know, sort of procedural set of rules, but, you know, people participating in, in, in civic organizations, people caring about the outputs and a kind of broader set of, of feedback. So, you know, I go to a fair number of democracy conferences these days, you know, with, with some group of academics and funders and activists and sometimes journalists. And, and, and at every conference, there's this moment when, like, people say, well, yeah, of course, democracy is important to us, but, like, what about people who are not us? Like, how do they think about democracy? And there's always, like, some prototypical person. A recent conference, that there was Tyler uh, from Taco Bell. Tyler, who works at the Taco Bell in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, you know, he's an artist, but he likes Joe Rogan, and he's hopeless about his future and isn't sure whether he's going to vote or not or who he's going to vote for. And he, you can uh, imagine many different versions of this Tyler, tens of millions of people who are disaffected. But to the many folks at these conferences and in this broader world who think, like, how do we make democracy relevant to Tyler from Taco Bell or, you know, wh- whoever? Like, is it is there any way to is it a failure of the U.S. system of democracy? Is it a failure of or is it a failure of communication?
2: Well, if I had that answer, I'd be making a lot more money than I currently do, Lee. Uh, but well, but but we're gonna we're gonna think about this. I think about it. Um, one of the things that we found in the book um, is that there are a whole lot of people with social and moderate views of democracy who are sympathetic to this idea that the, that democracy involves uh, the well-being of a of a mass public, and that citizens ought to do better, and that that government should aid in the development of citizen well-being. So the natural question becomes then why isn't there more of this why don't those people have more power well uh that share those shared visions of democracy just happen not to overlap very well with the way that our political structures have developed over time and so dovetailing with uh, lots of your work on uh some of the failures of our party system um we come lately to the idea that democracy should be providing more for citizens um and so because we are Year of our Lord 2023 uh feeling like this is the this isn't the first time these things have been discussed right but these are uh particular events that have unfolded that that make these set of political outcomes seem sometimes like crisis um I'm not sure we have a learned or an imagined community of people who uh sort of believe in democracy in this way that maps onto the way that our institutions have developed and because those those things aren't shared uh those values aren't shared it it would seem like it will be very difficult to message this to the to the mass public in short order.
1: Right. So the the challenge is that we're selling a, a Rancho Gordo uh, <laughs> cheese filled burrito with like fake, you know, crappy beans and crappy cheese and, you know, grade D beef and expecting people to buy it. Whereas we should be investing in the things that actually make people feel like democracy is is quote unquote delivering. Although I hate that word because it sounds like democracy is like a you know it's like a customer service business. Although maybe maybe there is something which you know as opposed to being something that's much uh, much thicker uh, and more more valuable. So I want to pivot this conversation to. A set of solutions that I, I think a lot of folks feel that the the problem with the the tylers from Taco Bell is that they, they they just don't have a good sense of civic education right they they didn't they didn't get civics in their high school they don't understand how government works they're subject to misinformation and if only we could you know really invest in civic education and better information uh, we would have people much more pro-democracy and supportive of democracy. Now, maybe you sense a little bit of, of skeptical sarcasm in my tone of voice here, because I think that that is a very thin and limited view of democracy. You just have to learn about the three branches of government and how counter-majoritarian they all are and how relatively narrow interests can abuse the, the status quo and use money to uh, shift the range of what's possible. And then you'll be more supportive of American democracy. And here, uh, you know, I think this, I, this question that, that uh, comes out from, from your work is, if we don't even share what the meaning of democracy is, how can we do really good civic education and how can we communicate real information about what's going on uh, and that the problem may be not that we don't have enough education, it's that we don't have a shared understanding. And so everything else trying to educate people is just like playing cards in a, in a hurricane. Uh, and you know, I, I also want to flag here our episode with Sarah Wallace Goodman talking about her book, The Good citizen, in which she also talks about how there's a very contested vision of what a good citizen is. So is the is the core problem that we lack civic education, uh, or is the core problem that we have no shared agreement over what democracy ought to be doing? Obviously, I tend towards the latter,
2: perhaps you agree. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll think about what civic education emphasizes right it could it emphasizes all those procedural elements of democracy and we see from all the survey research that one the one constant across all of our groups is that all of them profess a a great love uh from the uh, procedural views of democracy to the social ones uh they all love all folks all love uh the right to vote equal rights all those kind of things that are centered on thin definitions of democracy so I, i don't think there's not enough civics education in the world to message our way out of this problem because the core, you know, the the book would argue is that that there are different visions of democracy and the real point of differentiation involves uh, the extent to which you have a, a broader view of the things that, of the, good life that democracy ought to promote, or whether you view uh, democracy through a very individualistic lens. Um, And given that our, you know, all of our political structures that guide the levers of the actual democratic process require an immense amount of individual level responsibility and behavior, um, (laughs) it's going to be very difficult, I think, to message our way out of that because it's just not, we don't show citizens that we take democracy seriously by developing institutions that make it easier to vote or Um, That would connect people to the sorts of other institutions that would, you know, positively benefit their lives.
1: So so then the answer to Tyler from Taco Bell is sorry, Tyler, your skepticism is pretty
2: well grounded and maybe maybe voting is a waste. Not not a waste. Right. Um, But that there's just more that that we could be doing to try to connect Tyler to the institutions that uh, he might come in contact with in his everyday life.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, uh, that leaves us in a somewhat pessimistic place, uh, Julia. You want to get in for a uh, for some final Absolutely. thoughts here?
0: I mean, my initial final thought, Lee, is that I want to encourage you to just go to Taco Bell. It's clearly on your mind. We won't tell anybody. You can tell everyone you you just got no, with no. I
1: they, they they don't have a they, no. They don't have a kale I'm salad cry with hemp seeds. About
0: that that that's that's. Oh. Uh, yeah, get, go, just go. <laughs> just get a gordita. We won't tell anybody. Um, so I guess here's my question. And this is really, I'm just going to freely admit, since I've already flogged my past work, um, I'm just going to freely admit that this is sort of coming out of the thinking I'm doing in my current work, um, which is a lot on race and the presidency. So thinking a lot about power. And I think, I think scholars of American politics really suck at thinking about power. So I'm I'm trying to take some baby steps, and because it, it seems to me that one of the things that's missing from the broader conversation about democracy, and this is not a criticism of your book, which is really really good, but it's just you know contributing to an empirical conversation that's already lacking, in this power dimension is the extent to which who are we talking about Tyler from Green Bay um, is going to get reinvested in democracy. Is I think you're right, Nick. Not like going to happen through, you know, more careful reading of Plato's Republic, but through thinking that... Certainly
1: not from Plato's Republic, because Plato hates democracy.
0: Well, (laughs) you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) The Federalist Papers, go to Taco Bell. So (laughs) you're clearly hungry. But it's from thinking that there aren't people that have power over you that, you know, and different people have different conceptualizations of like who it is that's screwing them over. But I, I think that's kind of at the heart of this. And that I think is a sort of interesting, you know, to me, I wonder what's going on if we were to sort of probe deeper and like ask people to draw pictures of what they think democracy is or whatever, and you're starting to see why I don't do this work, but to really get it, are some of these conceptualizations of both both procedural and then the kind of more thick social provision kind of approaches to democracy, are they both really about kind of thinking about the ability to have power over your own life? And that's where I think it's not, it's not your, obviously the world value survey's fault and whatever is going on with the world value survey is obviously not your fault, Nick, but um, it's just not a framework or a set of language that we even have. That's sort of my, my thought on the subject.
1: Oh, that's great, Julia. I I love that. Um, Yeah. I I mean, it's, I, I think that, that, that actually gets, there's so much of a sense that I think I think in the American public that people just don't even feel there's these things that are happening in Washington and in the state capitals and they're and and they just don't really have meaningful choices because a lot of power is about agenda setting and the agenda setting happens somewhere very far from them and there's just this this pervasive sense of corruption I mean and, and which you know is ripe for conspiracy theory
2: uh to to so to piggyback on that i think about what it would be like to live in an area not that i do that would be very gerrymandered and very uh has a history of one party rule and what that does to a a person or a group of people um, who have never experienced any amount of you know actual (laughs) representation in their local government right um we just have such a poverty of like i mean democracy happening in Washington, but democracy happens at the local level, right? And so um, many people just, they don't, I mean, they have elections with 15, 20% turnout on a good year. And so I think that's for so many Americans, they experience a democracy that is just is in theory the practice of it is just nearly dead and they don't see that their actions have any real consequences because they live in areas that are so absurdly gerrymandered to the point where um, their voices have just been totally lost that it seems hard for us to take seriously the idea that they should be more proactive in the maintenance of democracy right
1: and lots of elections that are so lopsided that you know or 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 nonpartisan elections where it's hard to get good information about the candidates and what they stand for, elections that are decided by the primary. Like we have, we have so many elected offices in this country, and yet so little meaningful choice. Yeah, I think. that's
2: the that's the crisis of, frankly, in my humble view, that that's the crisis of democracy. Right, it's not that people exhibit hypocrisy on a survey that I can get published in a journal with a fancy acronym, right? Like the real crisis is that there's just so little meaningful democracy in this country that it, it is hard not to be somewhat pessimistic about the practice of democracy,
0: right? Well, that's depressing. I mean, I just want to add, though, since since we started off talking about Tyler from from Wisconsin, we have like all of these things mixed up here. And you have a state where you have kind of a history of more meaningful and vibrant democracy, You have a highly gerrymandered state legislature where there's, so there's no competition for control of the state legislature, which you can really feel is kind of deflating people. Um, Even people who don't lean left, I think, because the agenda is so kind of hijacked by a very particular wing of the Republican Party. And this is a state that has a a really robust tradition of a kind of progressive uh, pro-governance Republican Party in the past. But the other piece is like it's really competitive and I always joke every year, every presidential year, it's just like a misery. Um, I think this year is going to be the worst so far, but I don't feel like we get anything out of that. I always ask my students, do we get anything out of being a swing state other than ads? And they are really cynical, I will say. When I speak with young people, those are some of the most most disheartening conversations like I've had lots of time to get jaded but they're already jaded they should be a little more optimistic I I would hope
1: yeah god that's depressing right because because people who are not in competitive states and competitors are like we have no power and then you go to Wisconsin the swingiest of swing states and everybody like just just leave me leave me the f alone already (laughs) Jesus you know terrible terrible candidate a or terrible candidate b like I just want to Go back and enjoy my, you know, Adult Swim cartoons or whatever.
0: The candidates can be terrible. I mean, fi- the candidates have always been terrible, right? It's, it's it's terrible. It's terrible business. But the terrible candidates delivered some things, and <laughs> that's the that's the difference that I see is that is that there's not they're sort of competing on who can get their base the most outraged, um, as opposed to actually delivering meaningful change for people who live in various areas in the state. And that's, I'm sure that people in other competitive states feel, probably experience something similar, although that would be another interesting research project.
2: The misery of the swing state. I do think, though, it it, um, all of this um, at least qualifies some of how we think about, you know, um, to come full circle to the backsliding stuff, um, in that uh, so much of the backsliding literature focuses on whether or not there's a presence of free and fair elections. And, you know, we have the presence of free and fair elections for... 200 some years right i don't i don't know but the the idea that the group of people who actually get to participate in this is is so variable over that period of time that to call the united states a free and fair democracy over the history of the country is, is somewhat absurd and so it's like um, when we think about you know is the united states backsliding today I was spent some time reading um, another paper on this this morning and I, I just I feel like sometimes we lose track of the power argument that that Julia raised earlier and who wields it um and like that, that's a pretty good qualifier on thinking about democratic backsliding and how power is actually where it's located what's its distribution what kind of access do people have to it um that can orient how we think about democracy in a little bit more of a productive manner than just well is there turnover or do winners the winners win and losers lose and is everything peaceful transition of power um all of that is fine, um, but if you don't, I think r- loop in that dimension of who is wielding the power and then what is it, what are the downstream consequences for the ordinary person? Um, that that kind of gives us a pretty blinkered view of backsliding and and its implications for the public. Well,
1: thank you for unblinkering us, Nick.
2: I feel like the the uh,
1: shades have been lifted and now I can now now I can see clearly and now now I'm going to be. Thinking more about what what democracy actually means and
2: who actually has power. I'm glad. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a little depressing, but I yeah, always, I always yeah. enjoy commiserating. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Nick. This has been another episode of Politics in Question. And hopefully next time we'll have something a little cheerier. I'm going to go uh, have a beer and cry. Thank you for listening to Politics in Question. This podcast is a partnership between New America and the R Street Institute. Our producer is Elizabeth Lucero and our audio engineer is Shannon Lynch. The theme music is composed and performed by yours truly.
2: This podcast is part of the Democracy
1: Group.